Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. Whilst the majority of the world celebrates the end of World War II in Europe on May 8th, some countries celebrate this victory on the 9th. Find out why in this episode and how Ukraine is planning on transitioning from one day to the other. Additionally, Russia released a preliminary list of unfriendly nations and we explore the contenders for Russia's biggest enemy. This and more on Sokrodonia Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. Last week, Ukraine commemorated the end of World War II. And recently, this holiday has proved quite controversial in Ukraine due to Ukraine now celebrating the end of World War II on two days, May the 8th and May the 9th. So what are these two days, Andre, and what do they represent? So Ukraine celebrates May 8th, which is the Day of Remembrance and Reconciliation, while May 9th is Victory Day over Nazism in World War II. So I think the whole reason why we started celebrating these two different days now is to sort of move more west and further away from Russia because they celebrate only on the May 9th, really. So, yeah, as some of our viewers may know, every year on May 9th, Moscow holds a huge parade in Red Square and, you know, they have war technology from World War II and, like, modern Russian tech that they like to show off. Yeah, so I think the question then is why are there even two dates to begin with? So this all stems from the initial surrender of Germany all the way back in 1945, obviously. So the surrender happened originally on the 7th of May in Reims in France, and it was uh, done by the Chief of Staff of the German High Command and the Supreme Command of the Allied Forces. Now, since Stalin considered that the high command, uh, the person who signed the uh, surrender on behalf of the high command, a guy by the name of Ivan Sluparov, he was a lower-ranking official and the USSR requested a second document uh, be signed and Eisenhower actually agreed with this as well. Uh, additionally, some German troops actually only consider the Reims surrender as a surrender to the West, so fighting actually did consider on the Eastern Front, particularly in places like Prague. So Stalin actually had a quote about this, and he said that, Today in Reims, Germans signed the preliminary act on an unconditional surrender. The main contribution, however, was done by the Soviet people and not by the Allies. Therefore, the capitulation must be signed in front of the Supreme Command and all countries of the anti-Hitler coalition, and not only in front of the Supreme Command of the Allied forces. Moreover, I disagree that the surrender was not signed in Berlin, which was the centre of Nazi aggression. We agreed with the Allies to consider the Reims Protocol as preliminary. So... Obviously, you can see that there's some very pro-Soviet um, ideas in there that the yeah. Allies did, you know, not much, and it was all the Soviets, which, you know, Russia still continues that idea today. But going on from that, uh, Eisenhower agreed to it, and then on the 8th of May, there was a new surrender or a second surrender that was signed in Berlin. And then this is where the, not really the issue, but this is where the divide kind of happened. So the second surrender was meant to come into effect at 11.01pm Central European time. However, because of the time zones, 
this meant that it was already the uh, May the 9th in the USSR. So that's why the USSR, or USSR and most of these post-Soviet uh, countries. So that's why the USSR and a whole bunch of these post-Soviet countries still today celebrate May the 9th as opposed to May the 8th. Now, I do, now Russia isn't the only one that celebrates this. Countries such as Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Bosnia, Georgia, Israel, Kazakhstan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Mongolia, Montenegro, Romania, Serbia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Ukraine, as we mentioned, they celebrate uh, that as well as the uh, Remembrance and Reconciliation Day, and Uzbekistan. So all these countries also celebrate on the 9th, which, and you can see in there there's a They're lot of post-communist countries. Yeah, post-Soviet countries. So the reason why Ukraine kind of introduced May the 8th was because after Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, Ukraine went through this whole period, as well as part of the Yevromaidan process, of decommunization and re-Ukrainizing a lot of holidays. And so Victory Day, which is Russia's biggest secular holiday, was seen as a prime target to like de-Russify and de-Sovietize. However, because of the whole... Uh, that it was so ingrained into the population's mind. When they introduced May the 8th, they also retained May the 9th. However, they now de-emphasize May the 9th. And a lot of the official events to commemorate the ending of World War II now occur on May the 8th. The, the, um, like you mentioned, they've started moving away from May 9th. Uh, there was a recent poll only two weeks ago that uh, concluded on May 2nd where they asked uh, respondents about May 8th and May 9th and their... Uh, opinions about it and 73 percent responded that May the 9th has great importance to them specifically while 18 percent consider it uh, May 9th to be a day off so it's still going through that whole transition of um, still being a widely celebrated um, holiday in a sense so what's their opinion of May the 8th then so breaking it down even further 52.3 percent believe that the occasion of the end of the war, Victory Day, should be celebrated on May 9th. 16.2% prefer to celebrate the Day of Remembrance and Reconciliation, while 30% believe that both holidays should be represented, uh, should be celebrated. So it's still uh, big to celebrate both days, but um, I still think there's a shift moving to, uh, like the rest of the world, with the Remembrance and Reconciliation. Because I think, um, remember that whole... Um, the whole Russian attitude of instead of remembering and lest we forget. Um, oh, they're like, we can do it again? Yeah, they're like, uh, we can we can conquer them again. So I think that's the other reason why they've moved away from May 9th. And I also think it kind of pushes that idea that, like Stalin said in his quote, that uh, the Soviets and Russia was the ones responsible for the victory. So if you have a separate day, it kind of comes across as, oh, we're celebrating the true heroes. And I... I I feel like this whole thing, well, you can't do anything about it now, but I feel like the whole thing could have been avoided if they were like, hey, let's have it come into effect at 11 p.m. Oh, sorry, 11 a.m., not 11 p.m., and then it would have to be the same day. I just think it's, and I know in Ukraine, like, they, they celebrate the veterans that fought and survived. They celebrate them on the 9th, and the, the 8th is the day of remembrance for those who died. I think in overall, May the 9th, once in the next couple of years, once the few remaining veterans pass away, I think it will become less of a day for those veterans and it'll just become more of a sort of like a rallying point for those that still want to, you know, celebrate the Russian version of the holiday. 
because a lot of Ukrainian civic society has moved completely away from the ninth. Mm. But see, that's interesting because then that poll in Ukraine said that people still think that it's... Well, it was only 52%, though. I know, but still, that's still a solid amount of the... I don't know, 52% isn't like all World War II veterans. So you have people who aren't World War II veterans that still see it as an important date. But like I mentioned, there's still 73% that view it as a great importance to them. So it's not just 52%. Yeah. It's greater. But I think as the date becomes more ingrained, and like obviously President Zelensky didn't revoke the holiday of May the 8th. So I think that 30% will continue to grow. And I think in the next couple of years, it will hopefully overtake the 52% that see May 9th as the most important commemoration. Hmm. But in general, I think Ukraine should find like a, like a specific day for all veterans, sort of what like Anzac Day or Remembrance Day has become in the West. True, but see, that's like our Anzac Day is... Um, it's World War One, but it now commemorates all veterans. Yes, true, but it would kind of be like... I just find it amazing it's literally because of time zones was how it started. Yeah. <laughs> but I see. I feel like the time zone thing was kind of an excuse to separate. Because yes. there's one thing, like if it's two countries or you know superpowers that are on friendly terms, I'm sure you can come to a compromise. But since even nowadays Russia and a lot of the other superpowers aren't on friendly terms, it's still used as a bit of like a political football as, oh, no, 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 we're, we're celebrating the true heroes of World War II. So in Russia, um, Putin has recently issued a decree uh, listing the countries which are unfriendly to Russia. And so it's the whole world listed, or is are they a bit more specific? I reckon they've gone more specific, but you might as well put the whole world on. They hate everyone. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 I got one. What about Lithuania? Oh, I keep doing this. <laughs> what about what about Belarus? <laughs> Oh, they're like a 50-50, aren't they? Well, uh, before the whole uh, protest thing. Yeah. Anyway, so um, officially this list hasn't uh, come out yet, but the Kremlin media has uh, doing their daily duty of <laughs> um, figuring out who this is and promoting it to the public and showing off who to hate and who to love, in a sense. So on, that, on the list currently, there is the US, Poland, Czechia, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, UK, Georgia, Ukraine, Australia, and Bulgaria. For those who don't know, the Czech Republic changed its name to Czechia. Uh, we already know the the differences between the US and Russia and why they dislike each other. Um, you were going to say something about Canada, Alexa? Yeah, so we should mention that Canada was previously honoured with a position on this list. However, on the latest version of as of April 29th, Canada was no longer on the list. So we'll see what happens to that. Yeah, okay. So let's go through some of the more obscure countries that Russia hates. So the first one is Poland. And for those of you who know Russian history, Russia has a deep sentimental hatred for Poland. And this stems back to even when the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And... Since independence, relations have thawed and frozen depending on the political whims 
of Russia. However, since 2014, Russia has accused Poland of historical revisionism, claiming that the Polish authorities are erasing the glorious liberation of their country by the Red Army from its history. And they also dislike the fact that um, Poland um, highlights that the Soviet Union was one of the reasons why it was so quickly crushed by the Nazis at the start of World War One. Because as we know, the Nazis invaded on the 1st of September. However, 17 or 19 days later, the Soviet Union invaded from the east and that basically destroyed any hope of Poland holding out for any period of time. I, th- I find it amazing that you mentioned the Polish... Lithuanian Commonwealth. Commonwealth. Isn't that back from like 1600s or so when they were still Muscovy? Yeah, so the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth lasted till about the 17th maybe 18th century that's like so long ago yeah so the hatred is quite deep jeez i thought i hold a grudge <laughs> <laughs> um the next one is the czech republic which um they've recently become to be hated by russia and that is because sorry czechia with the czechia <laughs> so czechia has recently earned its place on this list as as of last month, they announced um, that they'd concluded an investigation into an exp- a 2014 explosion at one of their largest ammunition storage dumps, and they were able to link it to Russian special agents. And um, they were even able to show that some of the people involved in the Skripal's poisoning in Salisbury were involved in the explosion at this ammunition dump. Hmm. Russia's also angry because... Czechia has is no longer going to purchase any of its Sputnik V coronavirus vaccine and that they believe that Czechia is also involved in the alleged coup that occurred in Belarus. So it's all coming up for them now. So the alleged coup is the um, pro-democracy revolution that is currently taking place in Belarus that the West is supporting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure I understand why that would annoy them. That's one of their... Well, they sister states. What would you say? One of the, one of their uh, the, the allied states. <laughs> like the garden. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's how like Russia like pretty much puts it. Um, yeah, it's their backyard. Yeah, it's like backyard. It's their backyard. Garden. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Poland has the same thing as well, where um, Russia dislikes them for the whole uh, attempted coup in. Belarus, as they say. Yeah. Now, this last one surprised me because I always assumed that Bulgaria and Russia were had quite good relations. However, um, since the turn of the 21st century, relations have deteriorated significantly between the two countries. And part of this, you know, from a historical perspective, a lot of nationalistic Russians hate the fact that Bulgaria was an allied Axis power during World War II, so they sided with the Nazis and were involved in the invasion of the Soviet Union. Um, and then a lot of Bulgarians disliked the fact that Moscow occupied them and turned them into a communist puppet state during the Cold War. So, you know, a bit of backwards and fro there. However, Bulgarian dislike of Russia has grown since the fall of communism, and they're mostly annoyed at the fact of failed Russian promises. For example, Russia was meant to build a nuclear power plant in Bulgaria, and that project has stalled. They were also meant to build a gas pipeline to Bulgaria. This has also stalled and been cancelled. And Russia is particularly angry at Bulgaria because they refused to recognise its annexation of Crimea and has followed EU, the EU into implementing sanctions. Yeah, I found that one interesting, but I, I do remember. I think it was one or two years ago. 
they had expelled um i can't remember if he was a diplomat for russia but they expelled a russian spy um for trying to get secrets from Bel- um from bulgaria i thought that was this like list is pretty interesting in the fact or in the sense that it kind of reveals uh political tensions between countries that we might not have thought about like for example i didn't even think there were uh, political tensions between russia and czechia but apparently there are so i think it's something to look into because these might be uh countries that you know can assist um yeah assist ukraine or assist in any other country that's experiencing russian aggression yeah i think let's move on to ukraine i think that's an obvious one yeah let's let's go to the uh main feature country of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so Obviously, Ukraine has won since uh, the beginning of 2014. This has pushed uh, Ukraine and Russia's relationship to sour even more, I'd say. I'd say collapse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like a, a moldy lemon at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, with the whole Donbass, Krem, um, in Russia's view, uh the discrimination of Russian speakers as well. So that's kind of put them on unfriendly terms, even more, sorry. And Ukraine's kind of the obvious. It's sort of the same for Georgia as well with the whole Abkhazia and South Ossetia. Um, having been invaded by Russia as well, they um, have an anger against them as well. And considering that they have been occupied for even longer, um, I think there's a more resentment there. I'm well. seeing a bit of a trend here. Russia seems to hate all its neighbours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, shocker. I'm surprised Moldova isn't there because they have Transnistria there in them and they're being propped up by Russia as well. Uh, we'll I, see how Moldova's pro-EU president goes in that and how long they true. last on their friendship list. Well, that's true. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Like, I think there are certain countries that... Russia knows might be a uh, an enemy, but they kind of feel like that's not going to last, and they're just they're not going to put them like on blast and reveal them because they're just going to wait to see if they'll fall in line in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, another um, set of countries they dislike is the Baltic states. Now, um, these Baltic states they've uh, had a dislike since they've been occupied, as they say, 1940, 1941, when they were annexed. Um, under the Molotov and Ribbentrop uh, Pact. So since the fall of the Soviet Union, they've also kind of pushed even further away from Russia and they eventually joined the EU and NATO. I believe in one of the uh, Baltic states, they've pretty much made it uh, compulsory to learn um, their state language and considering that a lot of their population is uh, are Russians that have moved there during the Soviet Union. A lot of these people haven't... They've sort of become like permanent residents here in Australia where they're sort of like the country that they live in, but they're not fully adapted into it yet. Yeah, so what they basically did is they introduced that anyone who re- ancestors or relatives were a r- citizen of, I think it was Lithuania or... L- Estonia, like one of the two. I'm not too sure about Latvia. And if you could prove that you had an ancestor that was a citizen, you automatically became a citizen. However, if you moved to the country during the Soviet Union, you were entitled to permanent residency in the country, 
and you were given a special type of passport. However, you were not allowed to vote. And to obtain the right to vote, you had to pass an exam in the native language and to learn the history of the country. And so... Um, but what's interesting is is that um, in these countries, you have like your standard like Western European parties. So you have like a left-leaning party, you have a right-leaning party, you have the centrists and greens and all that. And then you have the hardcore pro-Russian party. And since all the people who are Russian but have gotten citizenship, they all vote for that party. And so they become the largest party in parliament. However, all the other parties then just form a grand coalition to ensure that they can maintain the pro-European course of their country, which I think is quite an interesting tactic. Yeah, it's it's very similar to what you're seeing in Ukraine. And it's all these former Soviet states that have the... um this influence still being held since, you know, the end of the USSR. And I guess it's, it's the same reason as how the USSR collapsed. You still have people living there that are, you know, identify themselves as Russians. And because there wasn't that grassroots independence movement, they're kind of still battling those, that, that essentially all that independence movement still today. Now, let's get to the, uh, the shockers of the list. No one's ever going to pick these ones. Okay, so the first one on this list uh, on my three is the U.S. Gee, I wonder why. So, <laughs> so, it's, the, oh, it's the hardest one. I thought they were best friends. Yeah, so, well, let's look back over, what, the last five, six years when you had uh, hacking in the U.S. election, which then Obama then retaliated by expelling diplomats. And then, of course, Russia then tried to... Ha- um, influence and hack into this current uh in the previous in the 2020 election then you had all of the um uh, links to i will say ukrainian um uh what's the word i'm looking oligarchs. for oligarchs ukrainian oligarchs but also um ukrainian foreign uh agents for ukrainian foreign agents thank you that's the word i was looking for who were acting at the time, under the Ukrainian government, but let's remember it was the pro-Russian Yanukovych government, which was also trying to influence American politics. And then, of course, you've got um, the numerous sanctions that the US has put onto Russia. So that one, I'd say, is the uh, the big one, not to mention, of course, these two are the major nuclear powers in the world, and they are still pretty much pointing nukes at each other. Moving on, we have the UK. Now, the UK, I think, when you compare it to the US, it's not as big and it's not a, on, the, on the world stage in, in terms of the, the tension between the, those two countries. But there was Scripple who defected and ended up being uh, assassinated. Oh, no, attempted assassination with the poisoning. Yeah, because his daughter was also uh, assass- well, attempt- almost killed attempted. as well. Yeah. yeah, but see, they ended up killing an innocent person in yeah. that as well, which was a shame. So... Obviously, the UK is not going to be happy about that. So there's always, uh, there's been tensions there ever since, and the UK has obviously had retaliation against Russia, which obviously they're not going to be happy about, and then the cycle continues. But I think the one that's more important for us personally here would be Australia. And obviously, when Australia, when it comes to um, you know the global stage, Australia tends to align with uh, you know the United States with a lot of its foreign policy, but. Um, more interesting, I think, is how, and we this was um, revealed in our interview with uh, the Ukrainian ambassador here, Mykola Kulinic, who mentioned that Australia is one of the best uh, countries when it comes to uh, fighting Russian aggression and putting pressure on Russia because our sanctions last for three years. So any sanctions that Australia puts on 
for example, when the bridge uh, to Crimea was completed, that's going to last a lot longer than a lot of the European countries. So to Russia and to Putin, we are a much bigger threat because of our the length of our economic um, damage that we can do. Maybe not as in threat because our economic ties are pretty small in comparison to Russian-European ties, but I think you're right in the fact that we kind of stand out in the fact that the length of time that we put ours, our sanctions over, because the EU has to renew its sanctions every six months. And so, you know, Ukrainian it's, diplomats constantly have to dance around Europe saying, come on, guys, you got to extend this. While in Australia, it's kind of like every three years. And then you can focus on building the relationship between your two countries in between. Mm. Yes. And additionally, um, Australia has not yet passed the Magnitsky Act. But eventually, when it hopefully does pass the Magnitsky Act, that's going to be another thing that Russia is not going to like. And again, those sanctions would last for three years. Uh, so if you're going after uh, pro-Putin oligarchs, that's going to hurt you know, his immediate ties. So yeah, those are Russia's enemies and the reasons why. In the news this week, President Zelensky has announced that Ukraine will go paperless from August 24th. This was announced at the DIA Summit 2.0. DIA is Ukraine's government app which allows its citizens to access all government services. Ukraine's government is undergoing a major reshuffle. Ukraine's Prime Minister Denis Shmahal has submitted a proposal to the Vakhovna Rada to dismiss the Health Minister. In addition to this, the Minister of Economic Development, Trade and Agriculture, as well as the Minister of Infrastructure, have submitted their resignations. Due to the improvement of the situation in regards to COVID-19, Ukraine's railway giant Ukrzaliznetsia is set to resume international routes. Specifically, routes to Hungary, Austria will now go on sale. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UK Life Abroad content.